This is Cinema Drive, movies that fuel us. Our passion is the power of film, to engage, to transcend, and to endure. Hello and happy summer and welcome to Cinema Drive, the podcast that introduces both sides of the movie aisle to the other. I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm joined by Jason, the co-host. That's me. We're both co-hosts. Today we are talking about a couple of great Jack Lemmon classics. Yeah. For those of you out there who haven't seen anything that isn't produced by Marvel or DC, this is your time to pay attention to some great Cinema. This is your opportunity to get into two classics from the 60s. Expand uh, your horizons. That's right. With The Apartment and The Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you've heard something about the latter. Uh, we are always trying to make sure we have a well-rounded discussion. Right, Jason? We love both sides of movie land we want to get into the classics just as much as we want to find uh weight and meaning in more pop culture films yeah it doesn't mean we love both unabashedly but we really look for the ones that stand the test of time that have legacy and uh these two are ones that are definitely worth a discussion today yeah absolutely these are two films that both are i think super well written super tight stories a uh, lot of laughs in store if, yes. if you're willing to open up your heart to them. But, you know, even go back a few episodes and we were talking Passenger 57, an executive decision. Yep. Two films that they're great popcorn blockbuster flicks right. that are not going to win many awards. But, man, are they exciting movies? Are they really fun and mostly intelligent. There are definitely some moments <laughs> in them that you can poke some holes through the plots, but overall, they're just fun movies. And yeah. so we want to look at all sides of cinema, not yes. just your highbrow smoking jacket kind of, you know, movies from the 50s and yeah. 60s, but also examining, you know, how do these what do these films do really well right. as opposed to what is the Marvel Cinematic Universe doing really well? Because right. they're definitely very diverse films, very uh, different stories being told, but they can both accomplish so much mm-hmm. and just engage with different parts of your head and your heart. Yep. Something to be appreciated with both. Uh, Jason, let's start out with a deep question as we do every episode. This is always an opportunity for us to have a little fun uh, and talk about a topic that might be in direct contrast to uh, this episode's subject. And uh, it's just a way for us to get our creative juices flowing. All right, Ryan, are you ready? Always. If you received $100, what gaps would you fill on your media shelf? Oh, that's great. Uh, Man... I know I do with one hundred and fifty dollars, <laughs> two hundred dollars by I, by Lucas on right. Blu-ray from nineteen eighty-six. I feel like I've, <laughs> that's your answer, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, it's not one hundred fifty dollars. I would need that to get Lucas on Blu-ray. I feel like one hundred dollars is what twenty dollars was when I was a kid. These days, I'm like only a hundred dollars. Yeah, uh, I would probably, I might grab the Bruce Lee. 4k collection or blu-ray collection from criterion yeah because i've been trying to get a definitive version of that for a while there's uh one that was just released i think in australia that has just a great look to it great look to the cover just beautiful collection but of course i think it's gonna be you know region b and i won't be able to play that so i would love to get the criterion collection which i think is like 63 bucks yep uh and to fill in the gaps there i'd get police stories one through four that's that's more than 40 dollars. i know that's what i'm so <laughs> it'd either be i gotta choose bruce lee or jackie chan uh because along with the police stories one through four i would probably get wheels on meals and gorgeous and both of those are like 23 bucks yeah. each yeah so for my boy jackie uh and i love 
gorgeous especially and I, and I really enjoy wheels on meals but not more than 20 bucks i i want to find a bargain on those yeah so yeah I, I i'd probably get bruce lee taken care of and then get a uh, police story one and two which is a double feature uh, from criterion as yeah. well yeah that, that'd be my 100 bucks nice that's those are good solid choices yeah i thought about the bruce lee collection um you know i also thought about Blue Ruin on Blu-ray. That's a film that you and I have have touched on a little yeah. bit in in previous seasons. Uh, it's it's a film we're actually going to dive into here in a couple of episodes. But uh, I missed my opportunity to to get it. It it's was expensive now. It was like fifteen twenty bucks on Amazon for the longest time, and so, it was sitting on my wish list. I think I got for less than that. Yeah, yeah, and now it's at, it's out of print and. You can find it on eBay for like fifty bucks. That's the problem with these smaller films, yeah. Like like Wheels on Meals or Blue Ruin is that you are gonna pay up the butt for them. Yep. Same with Prince of Darkness. I only have money for my Prince of Darkness 4K, which I would enjoy getting and upgrade to Escape from New York. It's it's gorgeous. So I can't even mention that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what else would you get? Uh, well, no, Blue Ruin's off the list because it's fifty bucks. That's that's half so, of. This Even inheritance, with- <laughs> this gorgeous inheritance that I've come into of a hundred dollars. Even with a hundred bucks, you're like, I want to spend it all in one place. Yeah, I'm still a cheapskate that. when yeah, it comes right. to that. So, a league of their own on Blu-ray. We've talked okay. about that. Yeah, uh, absolutely love that film. It gets me every time. I think it's hilarious. I think it's brilliantly written. It's poignant without being so on the nose, mm-hmm. like too much of a message film. Greystoke, the Legend of mm-hmm. Tarzan. I. This is Christopher Lambert. Yes, it is. It is the definitive Tarzan film for me. I I'll grew have to up rewatch. watching it over and over. It's not. It's not great, right? But it just holds such a dear place in my heart that I'm yeah. like, yeah, this is missing from my shelf. It's it's been some years since I saw that. Uh, Spy Hard, starring Leslie Nielsen. Uh, <laughs> not the best of his films, but still, you always say that two minutes before you make me watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, absolutely. They're, I mean, they're all worth watching. Stage- I've been wrongfully accused. <laughs> Stagecoach from 1942. Nice. Criterion Collection. How much is that going for? It's 20 bucks. Okay. Uh, and then I would probably have a couple bucks left over, which would enable me to get Brawl in cell block 99. Nice. On 4K, which it's like eight bucks on Amazon. So I'm like, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. See, that's the, it. The violence in that is so impactful and effective. I'm not sure how often I can rewatch that. It, not because I can't handle it, yeah. just because I don't always want to. <laughs> I like get a, it. I get it. It's it is the one film. Who's who's the director? Why uh, am I blanking? Wolf Zoller. Yeah, it's the one Zoller film that I feel like has stuck in my mind. Yeah. Um, Bone Tomahawk did a little bit more Great than film. Dragged Across Concrete. Yeah, but. Brawling Cell Block 99, there is just something about it that yeah. it just sticks in my mind and I can't get it out. And it is a film where I'm like, it's pretty brutal. Right. And I don't know that I want to sit and just watch the brutality over yeah, yeah, and over yeah. and over again. Same with Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, it's absolutely. Rough watch. But it's still, there is something about Brawl that just gets me where yeah. I'm like, this is still a good, enjoyable film yeah. and i'm kind of on the edge of my seat wanting to know what happens next and right. how things are going to get resolved and it, it's just well done it yeah it's brutal for sure yeah. but i think i can i can get past that well it's such that uh cell 99 is such a tight small simple story yes. too and i i do love the writing in um bone tomahawk yeah just especially the moments where they talk about like you know if you were killed what would you want and basically some some idea that my death would be avenged and you've got that scene where one character is dying and you have richard jenkins ineffectual like almost whining say, i'll avenge you yeah. we'll avenge you and you're just like oh like that's yeah. it actually has the opposite effect it's like you're it's such a touching moment so well done i don't know if anyone's seen this this movie but man it's well done kurt russell matthew fox yeah good movie yeah yeah absolutely uh, let's talk about the, <laughs> the apartment. There's not much brutality in here. The brutality is actually uh, an emotionally abusive, uh, almost gaslighting brutality. Yeah. Because, boy, the picture, uh, this this picture paints. Um, 
of a, a New York that's uh, you know just full of like we get to see the high life and the indiscretions of like powerful corporate men who right. just treat uh, the woman they are having affairs with uh, just like trash. Right. Uh, we got Fred McMurray and Shirley MacLaine supporting Jack Lemon in one of his best performances. Yeah, absolutely. That that is what draws me to this movie over and over and over again is Jack Lemon's performance. Yeah. And you know, it is an icky topic for right. maybe right. a lack of a better term. The the subject matter of this film is a gentleman who is trying to rise up within his company Mm -hmm. is loaning out his apartment which is just a few blocks from the office building he's loaning out his apartment at night to executives so that they can take you know their mistresses or their girlfriends of the evening to his apartment to sleep with them to have an affair without discretion and it there is something in you that doesn't like Jack Lemon, how soft Jack Lemon is. Right, and right. He knows exactly what's going on, and he is getting trampled over, and he's just perpetuating this this cycle, this disgusting yes. cycle. Um, and and so there is a part of you that just despises him, and yet he is still so engaging and adorable. Yes. And eventually, when Shirley MacLaine's character is quote unquote on the line, he does give up you know, his powerful position and he does quote unquote, stick it to the man. But again, it's, it's a little bit of a rough movie and I, I have so many mixed feelings about this film completely, but I am also like all about Jack Lemmon. I just feel like this is his, his performance. There is weight to it. There's silliness to it. There's a lot of fun to be had with his character in just great dialogue, snappy, witty comebacks that are throughout yeah. this film. It's just brilliantly written. Yeah. Well, you like him because he's Jack Lemon. Right. And he's affable and he's he's almost like uh not self aware in a in a fun way. Where, like you can just you, you feel like people are observing him and just enjoying him like like Miss Kubelik. Mm-hmm. I know her name's Fran, but I'm just gonna call her Miss Kubelik since that's what that's he what refers he, to yeah. her as the whole movie. You just feel like uh she's just kind of seeing him. He doesn't he doesn't even know how he comes across. And he is very much, you know, playing the system so that he can move up. He's in this you know basically huge open room of endless desks mm-hmm. just being worked like a cog in a machine and you're know, trying to make it up just the next level in uh 60s you know high finance high business of new york mm-hmm. um and it's hilarious to me when he finally does like he finally gets that big promotion to was it ju- junior executive mm-hmm. like like second administrative assistant and he marches through and uh, closes the door behind him and looks out on the desks, the, the the peasants through the glass, and the I love the music in that moment, just highlighting his mm-hmm. triumph. And and the music is so triumphant, we can laugh at that, where yes. he's gone from because he's just a second administrative assistant, like he's he's really nothing that big. But he, he's finally through the looking glass in his new office, and it's actually you, you're saying that he you, we have trouble accepting what he's doing, and I agree. But I think the whole movie movie is merciless merciless yes. on this topic yes. until and i always i'm always like i'm going through i'm like are you expecting us like billy wilder of course directed this yes. this wonderful film are you expecting us to believe that everyone's like this like this is and i know a, a significant amount probably were but it's just it makes it seem so normal are mm-hmm. you expecting me to believe this is so accepted and it's not until he gets his office that we finally get a commentary on the morality of it all. And mm. it's just a quick little, yes. almost genuine zinger. Uh, and Fred McMurray, who is, you know, the, the big boss and the, and the one that is, uh, you know, forms a little love triangle with Baxter and Miss Kubelik. Uh, you see a girl for laughs and right away she thinks you're going to ditch your wife. Is that fair? <laughs> and and uh, Baxter says, no, he's, he's like, especially to your wife. Yeah. And Fred McMurray's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's yes. like, not really processing what he's saying because no one listens to Baxter throughout the film. 
Uh, I just love that. He kind of puts out there, yeah, especially to your wife. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Is that fair? She expects you to break up with your wife just because you're having fun with her, treating her like you're her uh, husband. Right, right. This is ridiculous. I, I do love that it finally breaks the ice with that comment and acknowledges how messed up all this is. Right. And the Baxter really is caught between a rock and a hard place because he, you know, if his story that he tells at one point is true, it kind of happened almost by accident and then just kept happening. And now he's desperately, he has to either um, climb the ladder and he's so desperate to keep climbing that if he stops, he's going to be knocked right off the Mm -hmm. ladder and lose everything, lose his career. And so those stakes are made clear by the time we get to that crucial moment where he does have to choose between Miss Kubelik and his future. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that the movie sets that up where he does kind of warm up and, and we warm up as the audience to a question of morality and a decision right. has to be made like, this is not okay. Not, not even like he's definitely going to get her by the end, but he does not, he actually doesn't like the way that uh, Fred McMurray disrespects Sheldrake disrespects her right right um and I love that I love that he he is he's not it's not just that he wants her he sees that she's being disrespected and that that woman should not be treated that way and that he should not be acting that way when he is a family already like like he is gradually gaining a perspective on morality unrelated to his affections for Miss Kublik. Yes. To me, that, yeah. that's just incidental. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say is that's the one thing I would change about this movie. That's sacrilegious because I, I feel like this is a nearly perfect film. But I, I almost wish he didn't wind up with having affections or emotions uh, or attraction toward Miss Kubelik. Because it almost cheapens his, it, his it crusade. Almost, right, yeah. right. It almost cheapens his eyes being open yeah. to, man, this is, this is kind of a dirty, grimy thing. It yeah. becomes a selfish, almost selfish pursuit sure. of, I want Miss Kubelik, and I'm attracted to her. Mm-hmm. And by golly, Shirley MacLaine is super, super adorable in this film. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know another role where I... I'm just so drawn in by, you know, little little bit of sass behind mm-hmm. just a sweet demeanor. Yeah. I feel like she just plays that so, so well in this role. But again, I, on the one hand, like completely can be like, oh, of, of course, C.C. Baxter is, is going to fall in love yeah. with Miss Kubelik because she's incredible. Yeah. But also, I just wish... It was like friendship and actually getting to know her and yeah. developing this, you know, non-romantic relationship with her that he began to just kind of see like this is yeah. just a really preposterous situation that I've been put in. But again, I am all bought into this movie. I want to make that clear. Well, of, th- yeah. Of, yeah. This is such a smart, well done film. And ultimately, yeah, you do side with Baxter because Baxter eventually finds the nerve right. to stand up and and just be like no i'm i'm not giving you my apartment key here's the key to the yep. executive bathroom yep. instead yeah. i quit yeah i mean he does stand up for her because he takes on all the shame he doesn't allow her to be disgraced and he doesn't or is it he doesn't allow his boss to be disgraced which is his ticket to the future and that's why i go back and forth when i see this film i'm like and i think maybe it graduates from one to the other because sure, it starts out like i'm not gonna get my boss in trouble but then it, it does seem like he's protecting her mm-hmm. too and literally protecting her life not just for sheldrake but for her right like i, th- I think the the i think it's a, it is a gradual um process for our protagonist to go through because he does he takes on this horrible reputation uh, from his next door neighbor, you know, a doctor, right. a respected man. You know, he has all these people thinking all kinds of things of him. Even the other executives that are using his apartment, like, oh, Baxter, like you're such a dog, you know, like right. he, think of all the people he must be meeting. And, and he he really stops. I don't know. He's selfless in a unique way, even as he's selfish, trying to work his way up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I, I think that the humanity of the situation, including her trying to take her life really sobers him up and gets him on the right track. Right. Like he sees what's at stake. Right. He sees that, Oh, Sheldrake is ruining her to the point of suicide. Right. Like 
there's something more going on than like, oh, we're all having fun. It's the 60s. And right. There's some indiscretions we all shake our heads at and look away from. Right. Well, and that that is one of the things that I thought was done super well was that is Baxter's turning point. Yeah. Um, when Miss Kubelek tries to take her life. Yeah. Realizing that Sheldrake is leading her on. He's not going to leave his wife and kids for a relationship with yeah. her. She has fallen head over heels for him. He's just using her. And, and yeah, I think Baxter begins to realize like, this is how destructive yeah. this is. Yeah. Not just for Miss Kubelek, but, but for everyone yes. involved yes. in Sheldrake's personal life. Yeah. I, I wish there was a little bit more bully justice in in the end mm-hmm. of this film. Sure. Clearly Shirley MacLaine, uh Miss Kubelek walks away from Sheldrake at the end of the film after Sheldrake announces that he's left his his wife and kids which you kind of get the impression because that, he's kicked out right right he's, he's kicked out he's like oh, i'm gonna come to you she kicked me out yeah uh, uh so i i love that she clearly leaves him at the end but that yeah. even feels a little bit hollow i wish there was just a little bit more of that yes. bully justice that yes. you know you're just hungry for of like this is a gross icky right. slimy dude and right. he needs more comeuppance than just his wife kicking him out of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and I think, I think it does that on the flip side of revealing how precious their intimacy is between Baxter and, and mm-hmm. Kubelik by the end. They, they, this apartment, this small little apartment has the warmth of them knowing each other and their intimacy and, and a, a built trust and a built care mm-hmm. that, he doesn't have. He's been kicked out. You know, he's got this high rise office, whatever. You know, he he's got all the money he wants in the world, and probably you know ten more girls lining up uh, in the next twenty four hours if he'd like that are willing to like get part of his power or, or whatever and and uh, become intoxicated with that. But he doesn't have what they have, which is a genuine mm-hmm. emotional warmth and joy. Yes. And so I think the picture Wilder paints that clearly by making that look attractive, even though they're in this this little apartment playing gin rummy with each other uh and they've got their problems and he doesn't have a job and she doesn't have a job because they've kind of chosen each other yeah and chosen themselves over yes sheldrake but i do feel like they're the winner just because of you know it's like the end of the graduate except they actually know what they want. Yes. They want each other. And you're like, oh, no, this is going to work. This, yes. this is good. Yes. Well, and that I'm glad you're bringing that up because that is exactly, I think, something I noticed on one of my past watch throughs that I hadn't noticed before was the movie ends with uh, Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon. Yeah. Just these huge smiles on their faces yeah. looking at each other. And they're like. Shut up and deal. Yeah. It's just this genuine yeah adoration and love and care for one another and just fun they're playing a game of right. cards together right. life's simplest joy yeah. you know um well it and, doesn't show them even like like getting married or something it's like they're just beginning their relationship right. too right well beginning. and i love that but in contrast in contrast where she's with sheldrake yeah you know three quarters of this film there's just such tension between them and there are hardly any smiles and she's always berating him for leading her on and never really wanting anything more and he's always kind of trying to coerce her and be like yep. oh come on honey you know i want to say something about that right yeah. and and so there is just such a contrast there right. that you can't help but just smile at the end of this film and yep. i love that you're bringing up the graduate because yes it is the complete opposite of that where it's yeah. just the two of them. That's all the camera is focused right. on, but they know exactly what their next step is. Yeah. They know exactly what they want out of life. Right. And it's to be with each other sitting in a, yep. a crummy apartment playing cards. Right. They've taken a chance, but they're actually hopefully going to make it uh, a few things that I love um, just in the filmmaking and in the acting uh, Jack Lemmon's face when he puts the the junior executive model hat on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the subtlety in this actor that's that's usually known for his energetic flair. That just there's this sincerity that you know this excitement that kind kind of 
transitions so softly just to the sincere like care for her as he as he wonders you know what she's reacting to and uh and then also the famous mirror scene the the mirror reveal when he's uh, she mm-hmm. drops her mirror mm-hmm. uh, that he had collected earlier from his apartment. He doesn't know that she's the mistress of Sheldrake, and she drops it in his, in his uh, office, and he sees it. And uh, well, she it, she hands it to him to so right. look at himself in the bowler hat. Oh, is that what yeah. it is? Thank yeah. you. Okay, okay. So, so he's looking at it, and the whole the mirror is cracked, and he's the one who remarked upon this mm-hmm. to Sheldrake, and it, it, that whole shot contains his reaction. Yes. You see it all inside the mirror as he looks at it and is and is shocked and is overcome with like dismay as he's realizing what's just happened, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then countered because this really is about Kubelik just as much as him. Yeah, uh, she's he's like you know you should replace it and he, she's like I like it that way it makes me look the way I feel, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just so um, it's such a great way of summing up her right. character it's it's revealing in right. so few words right right what her character is going through internally right it's beautiful it's yeah. absolutely beautiful that's exactly one of the lines i yeah. i had in mind when i was saying this is just so brilliantly right. written and that's the turning point of the film because he's got the office he's got the hat and he's now gotten everything he wants by losing someone else right so now the choice is on the table he's finally happy he finally made it but the damn fool had the misfortune of falling in love with the elevator girl. Right. You know, it's just the wrong one. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is Sheldrake talking to her at the end after the suicide attempt, after he's kind of made it, I can't remember if he's made it clear that he's not going to leave his wife, but he's saying like, you're always such fun. Like kind of gaslighting her. Like, like why yeah. are you bringing me down with your suicide? Like he's so, he's kidding himself. He's so deluded. Right. Leaving her, um, two with, with the Christmas gift, which is just money, right? Rather than an actual gift, they went out and took the time to pick out to show his affection that he cares for her, right? It just her reaction says it all and tells us he's treating her like a prostitute, right? Before she even vocalizes it, yeah. Like, well, it's, and it's in, so well communicated, in right? The film and in contrast, too, after he hands her the envelope with a hundred bucks in it, in like the next scene or two, it's Christmas morning and you see Sheldrake with his two kids and they have these toys and he's he's on the floor playing with them. Yeah. And you completely understand like you think he's a schmarmy jerk. Right. Already. Right. But then you see that scene where he's just enjoying life with his kids but right. he couldn't even go out to get a gift right. for this woman that he says he loves right. and that he's going to give up his family for. And you're just like, this bastard, you can't right. help but just hate him right. all the more in this bri- otherwise like bright and happy yes. scene. You, you can't do it. You can't, you can't have it both ways. You have to choose who you're going to love and who you're going to devote yourself to. And, and we know it before the movie even starts. And we know that he's not going to leave his wife and that something's going to go wrong. And he's just so clueless and selfish, even with her suicide. Um, and I, last thing I wanted to say is, you know, when Baxter, we talked about this earlier, when Baxter finally does stand up to Sheldrake, like we said, it, it feels like it's more against him, against Sheldrake, than for Baxter himself. Mm. Uh, and I, I do love that. It, it, it feels clear he's when he's kind of going on this, this righteous tirade that it is against what Sheldrake is and what he represents that's happening across all 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 these uh, skyscrapers in New York and all the little apartments. He he is fed up with it, and he is the audience vocalizing finally and saying, "This is wrong." Right, and so that does feel like he's learned something, and he's realized that yeah, it's not. Of course, it's not worth it. He's gonna let his career fall to pieces so that he can stand in the way of men like this and what they're doing, and hopefully, you know. Be, be something of a change in the people around him. Yeah. And I, I do love that. It does, I mean, we talked about earlier, what is it for? Is it selfish or not? And it does feel like it's against that immorality more than just standing up for himself mm. at the end there. Yeah. Absolutely love that, Ryan. Ryan, 
as you said before, you have to choose who you love. And my friend, I have chosen to love you in this podcast. Thank you. We're such an odd couple. We are such an odd couple, which I'm excited to get into this film with you right after a quick commercial break. Good evening, Mr. Hunt. The podcast, Cinema Drive. Since it began a few seasons ago, there have been unintended consequences. Its film analysis and deep appreciation of what makes movies worthwhile have wreaked havoc on audiences across the globe. Multiple targets have presented themselves to Cinema Drive's relentless impact, and we anticipate this network increasing at an alarming rate. Both hosts are currently at large. This cinematic epidemic is proving to be an ambitious operation and cannot be contained. Jason West and Ryan Tiran provide an unprecedented perspective to the magic of movies and the artistry of film. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to spread the word of Cinema Drive's impact using any means at your disposal. Intelligence recommends making contact with two immediate friends to communicate the power of the show. If you or any member of your team are caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Good luck, Ethan. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. And we are back. Ryan, are you more of a Walter Matthau or a Jack Lemon <laughs> in in this relationship? Am I more of an Oscar or a Felix? I'm a Felix. Oh, in this relationship, well, I'm still a Felix. Yeah, I, I'm definitely a Felix. I'm, I I would have picked Oscar for myself, unfortunately. I'm a little bit of a neat freak. Yeah, you you want to do things just. So well, I'm a scheduler too. Like I'm gonna have something planned. I would not say I am to the extent that Jack Lemmon portrays as, <laughs> as Felix, because I also like having all the fun that Oscar has. So I th- and I think that's what's great is this is a true dichotomy that's not entirely realistic. Like there's no way someone's no, it's as a- uptight as Felix and, and or as relaxed as Oscar where there's like you know milk that's solid in the fridge well the fact the fact that their buddies at the very beginning of the film pick up a half-eaten banana that is like <laughs> black yeah and he's like yeah I noticed this here last week it's like it's you, just sitting can't live on either the floor way. Yeah. yeah oh man I so I really enjoy the I think the opening scene or maybe the second scene where they are all playing cards I think that's my favorite scene in this film like all those guys sitting together and just <laughs> messing with each other excuse me sir you're the one they call the Cincinnati kid yeah the guy dealing cards super uh, slowly and methodically <laughs> and and just showing and, and and introducing themselves before we get to Walter Matthau around the corner in the kitchen uh, and we've already seen Felix, and then we're slowly putting the pieces together. And Oscar's like, "Oh, my little boy is calling," and and you know, oh, he's from long distance. And then talking to his wife, like, "Hey, blah blah blah, yeah, blah blah." You know, like we're learning everything we need to yes. need to. We hear from Felix's wife; uh, he hasn't come home, and and so we're we're even the opening scene where Felix goes to, <laughs> to go tell. How long do you want for? Not very long. It's just so darkly morose. Here's, here's room three seventeen. Do you have anything, <laughs> anything higher? Like you know, in an instant that that's right. one of the things that I noticed right. in this watch through. And I confess to you, actually, before we hit record today, that I actually think this is the first time I have watched this movie all the way through. Really? I have always seen bits and pieces of it, feeling like I've seen this entire film, but. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this was the first time I actually watched yeah. it through all the way and was like, man, there is some smart dialogue yeah. in this as well because there is really good setup right. with Mathau and Lemon's characters. Yeah. And within the first two scenes, it starts with Jack Lemon, yeah. clearly depressed, going to try and commit suicide. You find out, again, just from like two lines of dialogue. Yeah. Um, being unable to and then and then it switches over to yeah the poker game with his friends yeah. and Mathau is a super huge slob yeah. and carefree yeah as you're saying he he picks up the phone 
and he's so so genuinely excited yeah. and happy to talk to his boy. Yeah. I love you, sweetie. I can't wait to see you. And and then Blanche, his ex wife, right. comes on. And he's like, "Hey, Blanche, what do you want?" <laughs> hey. and, and like his whole tone and body posture just changes, and it's it's brilliantly done, both acting and writing of yeah. just you're seeing who these characters are, right. what they what they value, what their desires are. And we learn, you know, clearly from further dialogue that goes on yeah. that Jack Lemon's wife has just left him yep. and his wife and his kids were all he could talk right, about right, ever. Right, right. And I Oscar wanna, feels better off, it seems, and feels like I can't breathe without them. Yes, yeah. And I wanna get I wanna spend more time focused on the world's most awkward dinner date yeah. ever. Yeah. Uh, but it is funny because even in that situation, Jack Lemon has no clue what to talk to these ladies about on right. this double date. Right. Until he starts talking about his wife and kids exactly. and starts opening up about them. And suddenly he's like, you know, he's, he's the light yeah. in this horrible, super awkward double date. Right. That nobody is enjoying themselves clearly. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I, I think that opening scene does such a good job of introducing, of engaging us and introducing us to all these characters and connecting the dots with who Felix is and bring him into the fold and the, <laughs> him arriving and them all watching him like a hawk and trying not to acknowledge mm-hmm. the horror of what he just did. And then like, you know, chasing him down to get him away from the window. And it's so sad, but it's so comical. Yeah. Uh, and then finally them, you know, agreeing to to be together and you know how it's going to go from there because you've gotten everything you need to learn but i think the uh the dialogue between them all uh is the best part of the film it's why i don't know if you ever saw it but the odd couple two didn't does not work because it puts all the the weight on just math and lemon and right. i think having that kind of balance that kind of offset with multiple characters making it feel more like a world that we get to focus on just they were so funny mm-hmm. um, and witty that it really it, it launches the rest of the picture. Uh, I love I love that Oscar has such a cool job too at the ballpark. Like he's just like he's like top paid sports writer yeah, for yeah. He's just like having so much fun. Like he's enjoying himself. He's having fun with the the, the pigeon sisters and so like casual with them. And they're all three of them are clear about what they want from each other and, and then Felix is just so overwhelmed and has no idea what he's doing and wants to plan the meal down to a T. You you kind of are the sad sap. I see <laughs> where you're coming from now. Yeah, I, I'm really... No, I'm talking about the neatness. <laughs> yeah, and the planner. <laughs> and cooking the meatloaf. <laughs> uh, one confession I will actually make here, Ryan. I do not like Walter Matthau. Uh, in general in general really yeah i have never i've never found anything that just draws me to his films charade yeah hello dolly he always kind of feels like this grumpy old man to me that well grumpy old man uh, i exactly another one i know i know and i think that was my initial exposure to him in the 90s and i i just have never been able to to lose that perception of him and then and then i watched bad news bears from the 70s right where again just grumpy old man yeah well that's what i love about him i am sure maybe i see too much of myself in that you know know what is 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 i had a grandfather that was (laughs) basically a grumpy old man okay (laughs) and i loved him dearly and and he was we, we got to connect more when i got older and and then he got very witty and funny he remind he reminded me of Mathau. Okay. I th- maybe i had a subconscious affinity for him but i think that's why i love yeah Mathau is, is especially in his collaborations with lemon well that's is he is that more aggressive grumpy edged kind of guy and right. lemon's the softer sweeter more yes. more sugar-coated one well and that's why i love the films where lemon and Mathau get to play off of each other because they are i think in their real life friendship and their work together, they are extreme opposites. Sure. In Lemon is so kind of endearing and goofy and silly. And Matthau is just, I don't know, he's he's just a hardened old grump who I was shocked at how many times he had his shirt off in this movie too. I was like, that's something I don't need to see. He's great in some of you guys see his uh trilogy of crime pictures 
from the 70s, uh, Charlie Varick and uh, the Laughing Policeman and the taking of Pelham 123. He, he gets more of like a leading man kind of. That's he, funny because I've seen taking of Pelham 123. I did not realize it was a. That that's Matthau? Yeah. It's been a while, right? It's you, been a long time. Do you remember Robert Shaw? Yeah. Is he, yeah. yeah. No, but he, he, he kind of got to show, I think, a different leading man kind of persona in that. And I, I think there's, there's – because it was my takeaway when I was a kid was he was a grumpy old man. Um, and I think I got to appreciate more as I got older, saw more of his films. Uh, I just he, – he's like an old shoe that slips uncomfortably whenever I see him. <laughs> like, oh, it's Walter Matthau. You know exactly what you're going to get. Uh, but, yes, his chemistry with Lemon – in this is of course so fun and and the the little it it seems so rote now some of the jokes and the archetypes but like this is 63 years ago this is like yeah the first one you know like we've seen so many sitcoms and television show uh episodes that kind of showed this contrasting personality you know cohabitation stuff you know uh whether it's full house or Breaking Bad, or you know, like we get, sure. we've, we've seen these odd couples. I mean, they coined it. We've seen that so many times in culture, uh, and I think we have to look back and really appreciate what they were doing. That it really was kind of a fresh, fun idea, uh, or at least to my knowledge, uh, this is the first time. Yeah, yeah and well, they I mean, kind of set the stage with that that idea, and it's a lot of fun seeing them go against each other. I'm talking about, I hate. Little notes on my pillow, Felix. <laughs> what, does he, what does he say? I'm going to read the quote. He's like, I told you 158 times I can't stand little notes on my pillow. We're all out of cornflakes. F you. <laughs> took me three hours to figure out F you was Felix Unger. Just little stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you have to you have to think about it, too, because this movie spun off a sequel and a semi-sequel that is like the otter couple where it's different actors playing the same characters. Um, I never watched it, but from what I understand, it was sort of a remake slash sequel. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's, there's two shows with the exact same name, with more or less the same premise. So many. There is that, that idea of this deep friendship. These are best friends, but they're just so opposite one another. And, Sure, they get together every week for right. for a couple of drinks, a couple of games of poker, hanging out together as a group. But have they really just spent time, just the two of them? And it totally, I mean, if you've ever had a roommate or a spouse or, yeah. you know, significant other that you've lived with, it's just kind of like everything changes when you're actually with that person yep. most of right. living for seven. Right. And, and so I love that seeing that relationship i don't want to say degrade but in some (laughs) ways it begins to just kind of fall apart where it feels like jack lemon's always cleaning this super messy apartment (laughs) and walter Matthau's like great whatever i don't care it's you know if he wants to do it i don't want to do it to the end just being like oh my gosh like he's just throwing stuff up against the wall like he's throwing the it's not spaghetti it's linguine uh, up against the the kitchen wall. It's not spaghetti. He's it's like, linguine. Don't how it's garbage. Clean it. <laughs> uh, uh, I, it's just the situation we've seen time and time and time again at this point. But yeah, for 1968, this was just something new yeah. and something different and something super silly. Yeah. This is not a deep movie by any means. I think you can argue that right. the apartment. There are layers. Yes. Uh, on layers on layers right. with this film. This is just fun. This is just blind fun. Yeah. Two best friends hanging out, getting pissed at each other, right. having different goals in life, having different feelings toward life circumstances and situations. Right. And even honestly, just how they impact each other and how at the end of the film we see more so Oscar, uh, Mathau's character, being impacted yeah. by... Felix, Jack Lemon's character right. of, hey, guys, don't leave cigarette butts on the floor. Come on. Uh, you know, actually speaking kindly to his ex-wife at the end and being responsible, paying alimony on time. You know, things like that where I love that idea of, man, they they love each other. They hate each other. Yeah. They're still influencing each yeah. other. 
And Lemon's performance is is so terrific. Yeah, yeah, like just doing the way only that Lemon can do yeah. as this this germaphobe. Just everything hurts. Everything is a problem. Nothing is perfect. But then so ingri- it, like ingratiating. Like thank you so so much, Oscar. And this is great. And and you're really trying to do his best to please the Pigeon Sisters in their their conversation. Right, Oscar. And you're desperate to to try to do the right thing. And of course, he doesn't. Uh, but then also being so neurotic, you know, Oscar says at one point, like, he, he wore a, he wore a seatbelt at the drive-in, you know, like <laughs> just 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 uh, the back and forth. The the you could tell it's a play because the the lines are so fun and the dialogue just keeps it's crisp. It keeps going mm-hmm. on and on, uh, and it just makes it such a fun, engaging movie. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, th- this is the the best known of their collaborations, but I think it's probably my favorite as well. Yeah, I, w- I would absolutely agree with yeah. that. I sure. enjoy Grumpy Old Men, but this is like the original. The The music is, is fun and playful, and, and uh, it is very enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that when Jack Lemmon is yelling at Mathau, and he's about to tell him off, he starts with like being like, I am so grateful to you. You yes. saved my life yes. without you. I would be dead. Yeah, I know exactly where I would be. Yeah. Uh, and Matt, I was like, is this you telling me off? He's like, I'm <laughs> getting there. Uh, well, I just, I love that it's so ingrained in his character yeah. to be kind right, and, right. and, and, and to love his friend. Yes. And that even telling him off, he has to start with like, yeah. I am so grateful to you that right. you piss me off. Like right. he's got to start with that like preceding <laughs> preamble of yeah. you saved my life right. and i am so grateful to you let it be on your head what <laughs> what take that back what is that the curse of the cat people what does that mean <laughs> and their buddies like walking at one point because they have the responsibilities to their wives and families and they're going on trips they're like oh you guys you just a couple of bachelors living the single life like they're jealous of them and they, felix and oscar couldn't be more miserable right and yeah. they're so oscar's so desperate just for some female attention you know uh, he, he's like dying when felix is ruining this for him uh and let's talk about the most awkward dinner scene yes well this is fun (laughs) and i love the the women they got for the for uh gwendolyn and uh (laughs) and cecily uh they they are a hoot they're they're such a great contrast because they are their own (laughs) their own characters they're not just a couple of normal ladies they uh, have this goofy anxious energy as well uh they're they're like twittering chipmunks like they just have this like manic energy to them that is like oh my gosh what is happening right now you could have just made them a couple of of normal women and still had felix do his thing of bring them down while while your oscars are trying to bring them up and help them have a good time and get them all comfortable with each other so that shenanigans can ensue but they are so fun to watch uh what it keeps when the camera keeps going back to them that uh it, it's it's a great way to keep you engaged you're not bored with the back and forth that they they do a, a great job as you're just trying to figure them out and uh felix is trying to figure them out and then of course bringing them to tears with how much he loves his wife and and doesn't want to do this and that that's a part where you empathize as well where he's like you know, it's been days or like a week that he's been out of his house and he's like, Oscar, I can't do it. I'm not, you know, yeah. he, three, three Oscar weeks. feels like he has license three weeks. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I can't do it. You know, he's still mourning the loss of his wife and children. And it's kind of played for comedy, but I think that's very true. Like you're going to yes. go and cheat on your not yet divorced wife, whatever. Like there, there's some mourning happening there. You were still getting over the separation and really trying to get back into his place in his home. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, my favorite part of that, and this is this is the one scene of this film that stood out so clearly to me, where it is like they're sitting down, the Pigeon Sisters have just arrived, and they're sitting on the couch, and they just have nothing to talk about. Yeah. But the Pigeon Sisters have so much of that, like, manic... They're so bubbly. Manic chipmunky energy. Right. And, <laughs> and Oscar is is absolutely trying to woo them and impress right, them. Right. And Felix is just like deer in the headlights. Yeah. It has nothing to say, nothing to contribute. 
And it just keeps going to these awkward, long pauses. And Mathau just keeps going, well, this is fun. <laughs> this is fun. This is, this is great. Yeah, yeah. Just, you're like, oh, he someone says say like something. Three or four right. times. And, and then they pick up with right. other stilted Glad conversation that goes into some weird right. joke. And then it's another dead silence. Right. And I loved it because it just... You know, I used to be a fundraiser and I used to be at these huge gatherings and dinners and events. And that is exactly how I would feel at 95% of these events is just kind of this like, okay, I have nothing in common with you, but I have got to get to know you right now. And so we are going to keep this conversation rolling. Yeah. Well, this is fun. And Felix isn't helping at all either. Right. You know, like maybe that would help spice things up, but they're clearly all nervous and yeah, he just ruins it completely. Uh, Great Lemon performance. Great Math Out performance. Again, uh, great uh, collaboration. These guys were genuine friends in real life and collaborated for, you know, 30 plus years. Yeah. Um, Just a fun time. That's what, uh, that's what people would be saying about us and Cinema Drive and our next podcast. <laughs> that's right. I, have you seen uh, the fortune cookie or, um, oh gosh, the front page? The front page I have. Because uh, this wasn't Billy Wilder, but the other two yeah, were. Yeah, no. The fortune cookie, no. I have not. I know it, but I've not watched it. It's a better done film. I didn't love the front page because it, it wants to be comical, but actually has some pretty heavy stuff in yeah. it too and and it just there, there's it, it goes back and forth for me um but you know in, in in any case lemon is always the love struck one that's like trying for to sure either get over his wife or get with someone new like he's he's always the one that that's like in the same position like he plays that same archetype in role after role yeah uh, especially in his uh efforts with Matthew. Because um, Mathau is the grumpy old man. That's right. And we love him for it. Well, some of us do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining me and my grumpy old man, Jason, on Cinema Drive <laughs> as we look back at a couple of great lemon offerings from the 60s. Right into us with your favorite lemon rolls. Let us know once we should check out. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Jason, and anyone else that's listening, you should also check out Mr. Roberts with Henry Fonda, William Powell, James Cagney, and, of course, Jack Lemon. another one of my favorite roles of his. Nice. Well, this has been fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Cinema Drive would be. We'll catch you next time. Check us out online at thisiscinemadrive.com. Go to our dialogue page and start a conversation with us. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks for our music goes to Time Cop 1983. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jason. We'll catch you under the marquee.